part of Double P Media, doublepmedia.com. Covering the most recent season of The Crown, make sure that you've watched it before you listen. You've been warned. Welcome back to the podcast. A little bit Matt here with you. Today we are talking about the music of Martin Phipps between episodes four and six of season five of The Crown throughout all three of those episodes. Thanks for joining me and really appreciate you being here. I know that our numbers are small, but they're mighty and we really appreciate that. Lots to say about these particular episodes, and I don't want to spend a whole lot of time here wasting time telling you about the podcast up front, but at Pod on Twitter, you can also tweet at the word double the letters PHQ. Uh, that's the bosses, Double P Media. Don't forget that our videos are on YouTube, youtube.com slash C slash the word double the letter P, the word media. And if you want to contact me in any other way, Think of this spelling, Matt's Audio Blog, M-A-T-T-S, Audio Blog, all strung together. That works for Mastodon Hive and for email, Matt's Audio Blog at gmail.com and for the website, Matt's Audio Blog.com, M-A-T-T-S, Audio Blog.com. Think of the spelling, the word double, the letters P-H-Q for all of Double P Media's social media, like Twitter, Instagram, Hive. Uh, Facebook, facebook.com slash the word double, the letters PHQ. No more talk. Let's get into the music. I do have some stuff to tell you about our contest coming up here in just a moment uh, after the music section. Dun, dun, dun. Last time in musical analysis, we ended with the musical supervisory position, listing tunes that were, you know, not composed by Phipps that were in the episodes. This time we're going to start with it. By the way, I did some research, finally. Uh, Sarah Bridge is your musical supervisor for this season. And most of these tunes I actually collected from a source called ClassicFM.com. And some of them I disagree with in in terms of which recordings that they actually are. Uh, But we're going to go through this list anyway. In episode four, uh, as we get the overhead shot of the car after the opening titles, Abide With Me. Uh, the arrangement performed by the King's College Choir, uh, Cleo Berry. Also, as Anne is in bed coughing while smoking and then bathing, we get Swan Lake Act 2, number 10. That, of course, is Tchaikovsky and Andre Previn is conducting the London Symphony Orchestra. All of these are part of Anne's radio program, And, of course, the one cut that is used throughout the episode is Stardust by Hoagie Carmichael. And they're using this as the tune that I suppose was hers and Pete Townsend's. And we hear it several times. We hear it uh, as one of her radio selections. We hear it played when she gets out Peter's old letters. 
and it accompanies some of the flashbacks before it gets into more orchestral things when things turn darker. And it also occurs during the end credits. There's also a big band version of the song being played as Peter and Margaret are dancing, but I could not identify the band that was performing that version. Also in episode four, after Elizabeth talks to the Cardinal and then she is brushing her teeth, we hear Spim in Illum, a piece by Thomas Tallis and performed by Peter Phillips and the Tallis Scholars. In episode five, we hear some Bach. That's right, Johann Sebastian Bach. Wogehest du hin, which means where are you going? This version is Marcus Volpert conducting the orchestra of the J.S. Bach Foundation and features soloist Rudolf Lutz. And this is occurring as Charles's private secretary gets the news about the uh, Daily Mirror publishing the recording and then him going to Charles to tell him. Episode 5 also features a Scottish bagpipes player. And this one, according to Classic.com, is called Sleep, Deary Sleep by the Lone Piper. But that melody doesn't seem the same to me after actually comparing the recording and listening to this. So I think Classic FM got this wrong. I could not find evidence that it was even that melody anywhere else or performed by anywhere else. So I think this one, we're just going to have to chalk it up to being some type of Scottish classic. Unfortunately, I can't offer any further insight into it. Episode 5 at the ending dance party, of course, Don't Sweat the Technique by Eric B. and Rakim, actually released in 1992 by Geffen Records. Episode 6, there's a version of John Bull's God Save the Queen, but I have no idea who was playing. I believe in episode 6 that Russian choir is singing the liturgy of St. John Chrysostom which was composed by Rachmaninoff, but I do not have the name of the artist group. ClassicFM.com also lecites La Donna et Mobile by Verdi, which I don't recall hearing, but I'll take their word for it. And those are the selections of music from Sarah Bridge, the music supervisor. Being a music supervisor is a tough job, so give her credit for finding good cuts to set ambiance or tone or what have you uh, in things that Martin Phipps had chosen not to score or the directors had told him not to score. So let's get into the themes that we're going to be hearing in these episodes. Some of them we've heard in the prior three episodes as well, but I will just at least briefly mention those as we go. I'm also going to go by episode. I'm not going to say new music, old music, I'm just going to say this is what we got in episode four, episode five, episode six, etc. Some of them will be in the order of appearance in the episode. I can't guarantee that that's always going to be the case uh, because then I went back and just rediscovered and blah, blah, blah. Uh, but let's start with episode four. We do hear the season four uh official soundtrack cut daggers although it is the same arrangement that we heard in episode one of this season which we discussed in episode 10 of the podcast so i'm probably not going to go too much on this but just to identify it this happens when prince andrew is uh looking at himself in the mirror preparing to see elizabeth this is when we hear it we also hear it in episode five leading up to John Dibbledy's interview 
uh, Charles. I'll just play it for you real briefly to refresh your memory. Another one of those odd time signatures, 7-4. And I'm not sure exactly why you need those running lines to generate extra heart beatings as typically running lines do. But for whatever reason they're there, I guess Andrew's bringing news that's going to upset the queen and that creates tension. And so that works that way. Sometimes directors will just reuse cuts because they feel like they need music there, but they don't exactly know what to put. I feel like that was the case in a lot of episode three with Mumu. But for whatever reason, it does work in both these cases because Andrew's looking pretty serious. And so that creates a little tension. And so the fast notes help that. And of course, Charles getting ready for this big interview is pretty intense as well. If you just use the title as a reference, I mean, in both cases... The actions of these two princes is going to kind of hurt the queen in one way or another. So maybe the dagger's title is somewhat of a metaphor for their actions or what they're about to tell the queen. But I don't really have anything else on that. Now, we have mostly looked at Martin Phipps's new music since the season three coverage because it would be assumed that a lot of the stuff from Rupert Greg Williams and Lauren Balfe would not be used. But in fact, throughout the course of those seasons, you will hear that he repurposes some of the older themes. Phipps will take themes from the older soundtracks and he will repurpose them, or the directors will choose those themes just because they seem most appropriate. And that makes this particular cut an interesting case. In episode four, as Margaret gets ready and then goes to the party and sees Peter in the reception line, and this theme also continues as stories are told and they kind of glance at each other from separate tables, a recording from the season two official soundtrack pops up by Rupert Gregson Williams and Lauren Balfe entitled Be My Portrait. Now, originally, I thought that this theme was intended for Toby Armstrong Jones and Margaret. But I suppose that you can repurpose this just as a Margaret theme, and that's how it appears to be used in this particular episode, because all of this is happening more or less from Margaret's perspective. And to be honest, I'm not sure that I can recall back to season two whether this theme was actually even used or not. But it's pretty interesting. It's got these wonderful string lines in it. Let me just play it for you and then we'll break it down. All of these chords, even though you don't really ever hear the tonic, they lead towards a tonic that is minor which is very interesting because since you never get the one, you feel unresolved. And that's what this situation is for Margaret and for Peter Townsend. Peter is 
dying. And so he wants to see if this love that he had with Margaret was worth something to give some meaning to the context of his life, I suppose. And he can't know this until they meet and talk again. So this theme applies wonderfully in the fact that none of these chords actually resolve to the minor one. And it's sad because it's a broken love. That's why it's tonicizing a minor is because minor chords tend to make us feel darker and major chords tend to make us feel lighter. But I love the fact that it does not really resolve. And you'll notice that it's not used later on in the episode because as they continue to talk, things do get resolved for the two of them. The other thing is, is that these chords don't last the full measure. They don't connect. They're separated. And this can represent a couple of different things. It can represent the fact that Margaret and Peter have been apart for so long, or even that they kind of have to protect themselves from these feelings because these feelings before caused them so much hurt. The timbres, meaning the instruments that are being played, are strings, which are very expressive and so very important to use for this particular emotion conveyed in this piece. And I believe that it is actually the original season two soundtrack recording. And like I said, I can't remember if this was used before in season two, actually used or not. It probably was. I just didn't catch it or something like that. And I haven't had time to go back and research it by watching all of season two to figure out where it might be. But I seem to think by the title... It would apply to Margaret and Toby Armstrong Jones, yet here it is wonderfully applied to Margaret and Peter because that was still in the context of that first time period with those first actors and actresses. And this may have been a director decision as opposed to Martin Phipps's decision simply because it feels like it was the original recording and they just found a way to repurpose this recording for these moments. Another old theme that gets used that is absolutely one of my favorites, it was entitled Duck Shoot on the season one original soundtrack. I often call it the Wolverton Splash theme because that scene with George and Philip was just so epic and Elizabeth opening the king's box and checking it out. It was the thing that actually hooked me into the series. And I it's very emotional for me to even talk about it. But Phipps has used this actually a bit in the fifth season for sure. It was perfectly appropriate for this particular episode where Margaret is rereading the letters from Peter about his intent to marry Marie Luce. And then, of course, the scene continues with flashbacks, uh, and shots of Elizabeth and her horse, and then Charles seeing a billboard for Andrew Morton's book about Diana. And Phipps pretty much does the original justice, but it is his recording because he changes the melody just a little bit, but just to refresh your memory on the chord progression because... This and the timbres that are used really get me. First of all, here's what the chord progression sounds like. Mm-hmm. 
And the piano doesn't really do the emotional impact of this particular progression much justice simply because it's the timbres that make it so emotional. It's the low woodwinds that are used to create these chords that really sinks your stomach, especially when you put it in the context of where it was originally used with George giving Philip that talk and that scene that I talked about earlier. And it's a perfect callback to season one, which puts into context when all of this stuff happened. I mean, you have the visuals of Margaret and all of this stuff going on, but the music is what really harkens back the sickening emotion of the fact that Elizabeth's hands were tied as she couldn't let Margaret and Peter marry and how much Margaret resented her for that. And just like George had said, you know, to Philip, she is the job. And this was part of that job for Elizabeth really helps you pull back into the emotion of that whole first season that was pretty traumatic for everybody in this family. And like I said, this particular orchestration of this is uniquely Phipps's because while he does continue the timbres, he also adds strings. He changes the melody slightly and makes it more pronounced rather than just this kind of line that occurs in the piece the way that Rupert Gregson Williams did. He makes it kind of the central feature. And that melody sounds like this. It has just such great melodic shape, meaning how high and how low the notes go. And again, the timbre being a French horn or the middle horns, yet played very round. And by that, I mean that they don't, it's not like a jabbing melody. It's not something that sticks out. It just kind of has rounded edges. It doesn't protrude. And it's legato. It's very smooth. And again, a piano can't do it justice because the horn players in this particular cut are just absolutely amazing. It really helped me relive the gut punch that all of this was, not just for Margaret, but for Elizabeth as well. And the gut punch of how Peter had to move on and the gut punch of, you know, when you think about it in the context of the entire episode about how Peter was just coming to try and find a way to put some perspective on his own life before he loses it and how the fact that he is losing it is going to affect Margaret and the way that this emotion carries over for her when she confronts Elizabeth about it in this episode. Oh, it's a piece that has always totally got me. And to be honest, I also really like the way that this exact same recording was used for Charles in episode five, when he's giving the speech to the kids. And you might say, well, what's the connection there? I don't know that there has to be one, except that Charles believes that he's ready for, you know, quote unquote, the job. And the fact that I believe that by the end of episode five, you realize how much more complicated Charles is as a character than before. But in either case, this new orchestration of it, this new presentation of it, really, really works. 
Now, I mentioned how the French horn can sometimes sound rounded, like not protruding or anything. But the French horn is a very versatile instrument, and Phipps uses the French horn very well to express different kinds of things. He will use the timbres that are available within a French horn and the performance factors that go into creating those timbres, the waveforms that are created, because a, a French horn has the ability to sound raspy or edgy or round and mellow. And sometimes it's a matter of embouchure or sometimes a matter of how much pressure you put into the horn. But you can create more sawtooth-like waveforms depending on how you do that. And that can express different types of things. And such is the case in one such track that was used in this episode. Originally used in the Season 4 soundtrack. And under that OST, you can find it under the title Fred and Gladys. Which, you know, that's the nicknames that Charles and Camilla had for themselves. But I don't see how that applies here. Uh, because as the fire is happening, we hear this same French horn line. It sounds like this. Again, this may be from the actual season four recording, and we may be just repurposing it. I suppose if you want to look at it from a conceptual context, we can say, well, Charles and Camilla, their relationship is kind of a problem for the crown. And here, this fire at Windsor Castle is definitely a huge problem for the crown, because not only does it create the loss itself, but it also creates the problem that the monarchy faces in how to fund the restoration of it, which we historically know was part of that way ahead group that we meet in episode five. One thing that I did not convey in this particular performance is the fact that it is what we call rubato, meaning that the conductor or the performer have the option of kind of changing the tempo, making it faster or slower. Plus, a piano, of course, never does a French horn justice. So you don't get those different splashes of round and, and edgy in a piano performance. Not without it sounding silly, anyway. But I just wanted to point out that it was there. And I'm trying to figure out the context of it. One thing that is interesting melodically is that it actually outlines the root and minor third first. And then it outlines the root and the major third Second, typically going from a minor to a major represents a sense of hope, but I don't see any sense of hope here, and I don't think that that's the way that this melody was intended. I think originally when it was called Fred and Gladys, it was probably intended to show that even out of this darkness, goodness can come. Here, I think that the director or Phipps, whoever chose this, probably did so because they needed something there that represents instability. Because to have a parallel minor and major, representing dark and upbeat, really creates nothing more than a sense of unstableness. And that's exactly the state that Elizabeth is in, as she sees 
Windsor Castle Burn, a Phipps theme that makes an appearance in a couple of episodes in this particular set of episodes is from the season three official soundtrack called Aberfan. In this particular episode, it occurs after Margaret chews Elizabeth out about Peter and Elizabeth begins to write her speech. And I think it may actually even be the same performance as the season three official soundtrack. Another appearance in this set of episodes is heard in episode five as the radio eavesdropper, so to speak, listens and records and then delivers the recording to the Daily Mirror. And it's heard again in that episode as Charles gives his interview to Dimbleby as Diana is watching. So I had always associated this theme with tragedy because of the tragedy of Aberfan, but it's been used in other cases, and it seems to be this catch-all just for general sadness, I suppose, is the the one kind of catch-all way that it can be used, and it's been applied that way, I think, in some of these episodes, although the whole bit with Charles going on the interview, maybe that's kind of a tragedy for the fact that all of this stuff gets unfurled, Probably a tragedy for Charles in the fact that he has to do it in the first place to save his image. Definitely a tragedy for the fact that Diana has to watch this stuff come out in public. To me, it's a bit of a stretch to think of it as a tragedy if the radio guy is recording it. But who knows? At any rate, this theme is quite sad. It sounds like this. Let's talk about the timbre again. Again, this is a French horn, a solo French horn, probably just playing the line on top. The other thing that's interesting about this is that the harmony, the note on the bottom, is what we call a pedal tone. And it's not only a pedal tone, it's a pedal dominant tone. Now, that's a lot of words to basically say that it's something that feels like it needs to move to where... The French horn starts. It needs to move to that same note in order to feel resolved. So throughout all of this, because that note stays constant underneath, we never get a resolution. And that creates some sense of tension. The other thing to note is the melodic shape. The melodic shape jumps to the fourth and then back to the one, which is not a typical type of melody step. It doesn't feel like it's gone anywhere. It feels like it's just posed a question and then the question is left hanging. The second time it goes up to the dominant, which is the same note that's being placed underneath, but it does resolve down to the minor third. And that tells us that this is sad or darker at very least. But the interesting thing is that the third phrase starts on the minor third saying, okay, this is darker. 
and it goes up to the dominant and then it goes down to the second step. The second step is part of a chord tone of that dominant, meaning that if you were to build a chord around those two notes, they would be in the same chord. And so what you get at the end is no answer. You get no real resolution. Now, in actuality, most of the time they do resolve it back to the tonic at the very end. But all of the time during the course of that whole phrase, you're feeling tension. And it's not until that final release that I didn't play here just because I'm a meanie and I like to drive people nuts thinking, resolve that chord. Or people that are in tune to that kind of thing. You may not be. It may not matter to you one way or the other. All I'm saying is that the tension is prevalent throughout that whole long stretch. And it doesn't have to necessarily be an angry tension. It can be kind of a sadness tension. It makes it very adaptable to a lot of emotions. And depending on what you're seeing on screen, that kind of tension will help magnify whatever you're feeling. And the last thing that we're going to talk about actually was in the Season 2 official soundtrack. It's another one of those callback themes. Not sure if it's the exact same performance. It may have been re-scored by Phipps during this episode. There's actually more than one element that comes into play here. But the Season 2 theme actually appeared in a couple of cuts on that OST. One was called Phillips Dream. The other one was called Bound and Duty. This particular instance in this episode probably more closely follows the Phillips Dream version than it does the Bound and Duty cut. But it also incorporates some things that Phipps himself brought into the Season 3 official soundtrack. This occurs right after Philip defends Elizabeth. There's this moment between that and them being in the car near the end of the episode where there's some high strings that have been associated with Philip in Phipps's stuff from season three onward. It sounds like this. Now, what a piano can't convey is the tremolo and all of the really cool stuff that a violin can do. Those are just the notes that are played. And there's not much to comment about that, except it's just so high. It creates this really weird feeling, right? But then as Elizabeth is introduced and she's walking along the tables to get up to the spot where she will speak and then sit, that's where we start to hear the theme that's from the season two OST. And again, to me, it resembles most the cut Philip's dream from that cut but really the melody and the harmony are both the same between uh philip's dream and bound in duty in the season two ost by rupert gregson williams and lorne balf and really the only bit that is present from this is the woodwind i think it's an oboe uh playing a solo melody like this So let's talk about that melody for a second. Listen to how it constantly is reaching up. It feels like it, it's getting pushed back and keeps flowing for it. 
in the season two, I believe this was intended to show Philip struggling against a lot of factors from outside and within himself in order to achieve what King George had set out for him to do, which was to make her the job, because we see him being distracted an awful lot. We see a lot of depth, and we get a picture of the childhood that he was subjected to as well. Now, I believe that Phipps incorporated this melody into some of his Season 3 stuff as well, but we definitely get uh, chords from the Season 3 official soundtrack cut called Philip as Elizabeth is speaking. Now, it doesn't use the melody from that track. It just kind of introduced the melody from the Season 2 track. And then we get this, the chords, without the melody from the Season 3 track as she's giving the speech. It strikes me really weird that there are so many elements about Philip in this particular cut because the speech is really all about Elizabeth and her apologizing for the things that the monarchy has done that people may not approve of or apologizing to her own family members like Margaret. But an interesting way to look at it is calling back some of this bounded duty stuff or some of this Philip's dream stuff puts it in a perspective of Philip himself. He was the one that defended Elizabeth to her mother. He's the one that we see the reactions to what she's saying. He's the one that we see being supportive of her. The very job that this bounden duty is all about. And I just love the shape of those chords as well, because there's reaching and dropping within them as well, as far as the top note of the chord goes. It's kind of erratic almost, but it really works. It's dramatic, much the same way that Philip can often be dramatic. So that's all I've got for episode four. That's everything that I have for episode four. We're moving on to episode five now, and we talked about this in the last music episode as well. It's a theme that was originally called Charles. It was penned by Martin Phipps himself for the season three official soundtrack. And we hear it right at the beginning of episode five. But one difference between this time and the last time that I really want to talk about is the fact that the resolution, which goes to a place that you don't expect, is what ends the piece as he's got getting ready. And, and then we overhear him talking uh, during that little montage before you actually see him speaking words at the dinner. That resolution goes to a place that resolves a fourth away from the original part, or perhaps you can think of it as evolving up a minor third and then going to the sixth. A lot of numbers that you don't care about. All that matters is that the last chord is unexpected. Now, just to remind you what the theme sounds like most of the time, it's like this.
I love how the strings on the bottom are separated from each other. There's space in between them. It's a degree of separation, which uh, you can interpret as kind of aloofness, which we see in Charles's character a lot, or a, a sense of detachment, especially when it comes to Diana. But the trick that happens at the end of this cue, and it, again, it's part of the original soundtrack. I don't think we've heard this resolution used too often in the series, but I love it because we've been in the key essentially of D minor, and we end in the key of G major. And then it actually goes back to G minor, but I didn't include that part in this. But the chords feel like they're starting in a different place, yet they are relatable because the second chord is the same one that we were tonicizing before. I know that sounds like a lot of jargon, but just think about how this is connected to what I just played. There's a lot going on here. First of all, the top and the bottom note of the chords themselves are dropping. The melody starts a step lower, or it starts in the same place as the second phrase from the first part. But instead of keeping that in the chord that we're used to, it instead resolves to the G chord, the G major chord, which gives it a whole new light. It makes it unexpected. And I think that one of the things that Phipps was trying to convey here was that Charles is actually full of surprises. There are sides to him that we all know and some of us dislike and some of us think he's terrible for. But there are other sides to him. And the series has done a really good job of demonstrating this as well. And I think that this theme really represents it as, as well because you do get that surprise chord. It's like, hey, this isn't all there is to know about Charles. So the next theme in episode five that we're going to talk about is a simple harp. This one actually mostly closely resembles the variation two from the season four official soundtrack. It's pretty close to it if it's not the exact same recording. Uh, it occurs when Charles and Diana are telling the Queen that they are separating and then goes through the uh, kind of the announcement montage between the Prime Minister and the Cardinal. Now, what makes this different from the original Simple Harp from Season 3 is there is slight differences in the instrumentation especially near the end. And this one actually spends a lot more time lingering around on the tonic, the home chord. Now, a slightly different version of this theme was used for Mumu, Alpha Ed, and David and Wallace. But just to remind you, this is basically what that theme sounds like. And I'll be perfectly honest, I feel like that this theme kind of just gets thrown in when something dramatic is needed and they don't want to create a new theme for. I, I enjoy the variations, and I know that this piece is very popular, uh, which has helped it get those variations as well. And Phipps does apply it to different situations, as long as they have a little bit of drama to it. 
and that's probably the main focus here. You know, it's the drama of the prime minister and the cardinal announcing the separation, uh, the disappointment in Elizabeth, uh, the kind of coldness of both Charles and Diana. There's drama there, and and so this is one of those drama-filling pieces where you have uh, something must be scored underneath. I can't really assign, because it's been used so much for so many different things, I can't really assign a purpose for this theme or a motive behind this theme. I guess it could be related in this way, if you want to just really stretch things conceptually. And that is the fact that, of course, with David and Wallace, he had to abdicate his position as King Edward uh, because he wanted to marry Wallace, who was a divorcee. Here we have a situation with Charles and Diana where they're on the cusp of becoming divorcees. They're not completely there yet. They're just separated. Um... The other thing to remember is that it was David and Wallace, especially in season three, as we really met grown-up Charles, who constantly reminded Charles that being king, or the position of royalty, should not be something that governs who you love. And, of course, we know that Charles and Camilla, throughout this entire episode, are demonstrating very much how deep their relationship is, um, to the point of nausea during some of that phone conversation. But nonetheless, uh, it, you could tangentially relate David and Wallace to Charles in this way, and that would give you some kind of continuity for the use of the theme. But for the most part, because it's been used for Diana and Charles, because it's been used for David and Wallace, because it's been used for just Charles himself, because it's been used for this announcement, I'm kind of tired of trying to look for a narrative that this thing can tie to overall. Still a pretty melody, still very uh, interesting in terms of the instrumentation, especially in this one, where it feels more like a guitar that's kind of noodling around than it actually does a harp. Um, but there are other versions where it feels like it's a guitar too, and then there are versions that feel very harpish. So just depending on, I guess, how much you need the notes to cut through might be the example of why different these different variations occur at different times because to me they don't really express any different kind of emotional context and there's not really any reason to break it down any further so with that said let's move on to another cut that was in this episode that we've obviously heard before and we've even talked about in the prior music podcast but this time it's a little bit different of a version and i love how it works with the events on screen this was originally called Fairy Tale in the season four official soundtrack. And this version occurs while Charles is recalling the conversation that he was having with Camila. And it kind of montages into basically a reenactment of the transcript as everybody's reading it in the newspaper. Now, first off, it just starts with the vocal part. But the difference here is, is that rather than the chords going sequentially with quarter notes, they're half time, meaning that they occur in a space twice as long. Uh, so the overall effect between the voice and these chords sounds like this. 
Now, the interesting thing is, is that Martin starts applying other rhythms to it to create more tension, and they're based kind of off of the those short chords. Uh, he uses eighth notes to fill those spaces, which raises the tension, raises the heart rate. This is all occurring as the conversation. We see more and more people are reading it. We hear the conversation get a little more intense, and uh, it really helps add the tension, especially when we start to get to see Diana reading some of this. That sounds like this. So what's happening there is you're still getting the short chords in their halftime, but more notes are stacked on at the end, which actually they kind of increase in volume too. So it increases intensity. And that is really effective for amping up more tension there. Not that you feel peril for the characters so much, but it's just, you know, this is really awkward stuff. And I, I love how this helps build that tension. And then we start to get slightly different harmonies as Diana, we see her reading it and reacting to reading it. So the harmonies here are different from the original version in the fact that there's no implication of a major four chord anywhere in there. And that can make a huge difference in whether there's a feeling of hope or not. Here, all hope is lost. You know, obviously this is going to affect uh, the relationship between Charles and Diana forever and, and between the public and Charles. So you don't want any real sense of hope in there when this is happening so you don't get a sense of a major four chord which we sometimes have gotten in the fairy tale version from before in the prior three episodes and uh, throughout season four as well it's pretty amazing how just one chord change can make up a whole lot of difference in the context of a piece but that particular chord is really important it's what gives a sense that there's still hope that I just played there. But when you don't have that in the versions that I've played prior, it just doesn't have that sense of hope. And remember, when we last heard this in episode one, or at least a version of it in episode one, while Diana was on the boat, she was still under the pretext that this was a second honeymoon. She hadn't gotten on to the fact that this was nothing more than a photo op for Charles. So there was still a sense of hope in the relationship. But take that away, and with the realities of what's been going on with Camila, all hope is lost. So that's that piece. One more piece for episode five, which we are going to do right now. Uh, this one I don't know that I've heard before. It may be just the harmonic structure of something else that we've already heard. But one thing that I love about it is its use of pedal tones and clusters. And let's start with just the pedal tone. What is a pedal tone? A pedal tone is a note that stays constant. Now, most of the time, pedal tones are placed in the bass, but they can also be used above the main piece as well to create a sense of continuity or a sense of tension. And that's what happens with this particular piece this is not on any of the soundtracks that I've found, but it is a theme that maybe we'll hear again 
in the future. Maybe we won't. But it occurs when Anne is leaving and reporting to everybody else in the family about Charles after she's had the lunch with him and ate some asparagus. And it actually starts with just the pedal tone. The notes sound like this. Now, by themselves, they sound like they could be the tonic, the home key. But in actuality, when you place it in the context with everything else that happens with the horns, it ends up becoming the dominant. Why is that term important? Because the dominant is what actually gives everything a sense that it needs to move forward. It's something that helps create a little bit of tension. And what we have here is the tension of Anne having to tell everybody that Charles is his own guy. And her coming to the realization herself that nothing's going to change Charles. So you help that tension by adding a dominant, something that feels like it needs to go somewhere. Now, in actuality, when the the horns come in, uh, middle to low French horns or maybe even uh, some trombones in there, but it's really a beautiful timbre. What makes it even more interesting is how all of the notes are kind of clustered together as they play. There's notes that are very close together in these chord groupings, and you couple that with the pedal tone, and you get this. Clustering things together, the way those notes are all closely knit together, generally creates a tension in itself. Timbre can sometimes minimize that. The instruments and the way that those instruments are played can minimize the amount of tension that we get. If those were splatty notes like they sound on the piano, they sound very tense. But if you listen to that scene where she, Anne is getting into the car, it doesn't seem nearly that tense. Instead, it just sounds complex. And that's what Phipps was going for. He was trying to use those timbres and the well-rounded sound and the way that the embouchures are of the horns not to demonstrate f something fearful or something tense in that way, but rather the tension that Charles is a complex person. And by throwing more and more notes closer together, we get that sense of complexity. Not only does it do it with this particular chord, the first chords that we hear, but it does it with all of the chords. They're all kind of clustered. And they even go to from this relative minor, which sounds darker, to its relative major, which sounds lighter, and even its relative dominant, which then uh, leaves the question, what is the family going to decide about Charles? What are we going to decide about Charles? So again, a simple use of creating certain tensions or certain complexities using just chords can be really effective to subconsciously help us interpret what's going on here. This piece then does end up resolving into duck shoot, but we've already talked about that when we discussed episode four, but it's a really nice arrangement to make those two come together as Charles is giving his speech. And that's all that I have for episode five. Let's move on to episode six. And I'm going to start the episode six conversation with the one new piece, uh, brand new piece. You can also find it on the season five official soundtrack entitled Impetiev House. I'm sorry, my Russian's not very good. Impetiev House. 
At any rate, what you get with this, not unlike some other themes that we've heard used by Phipps, you just get basically a horn playing a melody. This one is more complex than most of the kind of melodies that Martin has used for the royal family, but this is a royal family, and it's even related to this royal family, so using the French horn as a timbre makes perfect sense. And it's really just a melody, but then it's performed almost kind of as a round between two different horns. I'll get more to that in a second. But first, I just want to play you the entirety of the line. There's there's two separate lines that occur, and they do occur in this particular sequence. And it outlines minor, meaning that it's dark. It has a sense of actually harmonic minor, I think, more than anything else. There are different kinds of minor scales. Let me just play it for you first. It's kind of long, but let me play it for you first, and then we'll talk about it. And the second part goes... Obviously, when we're looking at a melody, we're pretty much just looking at the melodic shape. And notice how this one kind of flows in hills. It tries to climb, and then it's brought back down. It tries to climb, and then it's brought back down. Gravity's working really hard on these sets of notes. And there's only slight differences between the first phrase and the second phrase. But one of the things that I also love is that it implies that the high note is a strong beat for us, yet this is kind of almost free composed. You could literally play this as long as you played each note at the same rate. You don't really need a time signature. There is one present, but you don't need it. And it's kind of impossible for me to play this in the round effect because each of those lines, each of those phrases are played individually and then they kind of run across each other, almost like a round, like row, row, row your boat. And there are probably some slight modifications of harmony in there, but it's just too weird. My fingers would get all tied up with each other if I tried to duplicate this on the piano. So I'm not going to do that. I would suggest you go to the Season 5 official soundtrack. It does, as I said, outline a minor chord. Uh, I think a harmonic minor chord, and that's because both the flat 6 and the regular 7 are present. What does that do? It just adds kind of a different flavor to the minor chord. It's not really anything you need to worry about, but it does make it different from most of the historically either straight minor chords or the Dorian minor chords that we often associate with our regular royal family. This royal family is just a little different, more or less. Now, the next three pieces I'm going to go through rather quickly because we've already broken them down either in the prior musical episode, episode 10, or in prior seasons, and there's not much reason to actually, you know, harmonically break them down. If you're new to this podcast, first of all, thanks for joining us. Second of all, uh, you'll find musical analysis for all of these themes in back episodes, so please listen to them all. There aren't that many, what, 10, 11 of them? So please feel free to go back and listen if you want to know more about how and why these themes work. But I will start with... 
the piece called A Companion. Now, this is a new piece for this season. It was created and is on the official soundtrack for season five. If you want to look it up, you'll notice in that track that there are actually two different versions of this particular piece within the same track. And it's really not that much in the way of a difference between the two, except maybe a little bit in terms of tempo, and also in the fact that one extends the chords out a little longer after the main melody. But just to refresh your memory, it sounds like this. Again, we've assigned this theme somewhat for Philip, maybe a little bit for Philip and Penny, since it is called a companion. But uh, it's essentially the same thing that happens when Philip and Penny are riding on the carriage in episode two. And then we hear it this time as the plane taking off. You hear Penny's comments on the plane about the carriage riding. And it also carries through uh, Philip's giving a speech, that whole montage bit. And again, go back to episode 10 to listen to a further breakdown of this, uh, where I compare the melody to a part of a melody from the movie E.T. The next piece that we're going to talk about is the Establishment theme, which was first recorded for the Season 3 official soundtrack under that title, The Establishment. This one occurs as Yeltsin is arriving at Buckingham Palace. It doesn't really have all of the dressings that the Season 3 soundtrack cut has, That soundtrack has all these moving parts underneath it. Here you're just getting the chords, but this is something that Phipps has done a lot in terms of how he uses this. He just uses the chords sometimes. This is nothing new. Just to refresh your memory, it sounds like this. Finally, one of my favorites at the towards the end of episode six, the new queen theme, which was first in the season three official soundtrack. And I think that this is actually the same version. I don't think there's any real difference in this and the season three version. They may have just repurposed it once again uh, for this season. But it is as Philip is watching Elizabeth play with the dogs. I love the way that it has a whole bunch of different elements to it rather than just that singular motive it adds the melody and it adds the bell tones so when you put all of that together it sounds pretty magnificent it sounds like this So the next thing that I want to talk about is actually originally from this season three official soundtrack. It was under the title Man on the Moon. And I think that they may have used the same recording from that soundtrack for this particular scene. But it's while Elizabeth and Philip are arriving in Russia, you hear it mostly during their drive through town. 
and then it fades as Yeltsin greets them. One of the more interesting things about this is that it's mostly the intro part because the main part really kicks in with a lot of other stuff. And everything kind of goes around this central motif. This one right here. Notice how there's just a slight difference in the notes between the first and the second phrase. One note is a little higher in the first one and then it resolves down to the next one. Now, that motif is developed through a series of chords as we hear this scene go. The basic melodic shape of that motif stays the same, but it starts in different places depending on what chord is playing underneath, which works really well. And when it's all put together, it sounds like this. Now, why was this theme chosen for this particular scene? Well, let's think about this from kind of a loose context perspective. This theme was used kind of to accentuate Philip's wonder about the men going on the moon, and he was reflecting on himself and his own achievements and what he had not achieved back in season three. Here, this is another new context, a new first for at least for a while since the English queen has gone and done a state visit with Russia. And for Philip, it's about himself too, because he's searching for his Orthodox heritage. This is about discovery for himself as well. And so that kind of theme of discovery, that theme of curiosity, that theme of measuring oneself against history is present. Now, I don't think that the theme necessarily represents that completely, but I can see why a director might choose to repurpose this cut, particularly for this scene, if they felt they needed music underneath it. Because let's face it, shots of Philip and Queen Elizabeth just staring out of a car and seeing sights need some kind of a musical accompaniment. And this does work thematically with what's going on with Philip in the episode as it relates to what was going on with him in the episode in season three. There's another season three theme that we don't hear too often that gets into this episode, and I really love this theme. Um, this starts out with just the piano, basically, right as Elizabeth is trying to fight off her emotions after talking to Penny. What we do get in the main course of the theme is her bringing Penny with her to Sandringham Church for Christmas. The name of the theme is called Mount Batten, and it's from the Season 3 official soundtrack. And I believe that this is a recording that was actually previously used, except for the fact that it seems like some tracks are missing. The Season 3 official soundtrack has a lot of percussion in it. This one does not. And you can simply do that by muting those tracks when you're doing the overall sound mix for the television show. You can take any tracks in or out if they're all present, if they're not already mixed. So I would imagine that that was what happened or whoever had the original tracks uh, mixed it for that purpose before it went into the final track. Anyway, uh, I want to play this for you and then I want to talk about a couple of things about it when we get done.
Now, it's not as easy to discern on the piano, but there are really three parts to this. There's a harmony, there's the main melody, and then there is a counter motif. And that counter motif is actually what starts the piece off in this particular episode, but it's not really the melody. The melody is in that middle register. It's in between the harmony and those high notes. Those high notes are kind of like a response to the call of the melody. And call and response is a very simple technique, and it's been used for a long, long time through various forms of music. There is one chord in there that I love because it is what we call a suspended chord. It doesn't really have a defined third in it. And the third is what we use to determine whether something is major or minor. And when something is suspended, just like it, the name implicates, uh, there's a suspension. You don't know which way to feel about it yet. And that creates a little bit of tension. And then it does resolve to the major, which makes it feel a little bit more steady than it did at first. And all of this is happening despite the fact that the high counter melody note is telling us that it's going to be a major third. That suspension is still strong enough to make us not quite believe it until it finally resolves. One of the things that this really works well for is to indicate how the fact that we don't really know in that scene with Elizabeth whether she was crying because she's hurt because she thinks that Penny and Philip are together or whether she's relieved because she realizes that Philip and Penny are not. It was an issue, of course, in the news that came up with some conflicting reports and everything. Then even after Philip was dead, you still had uh, this seeming friendship between uh, Penny and Elizabeth. Because that was a big issue, I love how they kind of did this ambiguously with the story in terms of that scene with Elizabeth. And I love the way that this particular harmony also does that. Again, probably not intentional for the original because that wasn't really a, a factor yet. This is a pre-existing theme that's just being applied to these moments on this particular episode. But nonetheless, what they have applied really works for that particular scene. Again, the suspension. One more theme to cover here. It's on the Season 5 official soundtrack under the title of 40 Years. And this is what occurs shortly after Philip and Elizabeth's talk and her prepping and Penny prepping to meet each other at Windsor. It uses a very simple rhythmic motif that kind of starts and stops on different chord tones as the piece goes along. Let's let you hear it and then we'll talk about it more. Okay, so the main thing about this is the contrast between the very short string notes that are covered in the bass and the very long-held piano notes that constitute the melody. And because the melody typically only uses chord tones, you get the harmony between the melody and 
the bass notes carried in the string. Now, there are some very specific types of recording or performing techniques with the piano that make it feel like those notes are really lingering and kind of echoey, and it's not really an effect that happens post. It's kind of an organic effect because of the pedals on the piano that are used and where the mics are placed on the piano. It creates this kind of ambience that actually makes the piano feel more in a distant place than the string notes themselves. What does it all mean? Well, for this specific scene, you can think of the strings as being the detachment that Elizabeth has to have, the separation that she has to have as she's trying to find out more about Penny and what her relationship to Philip is and what Penny has to say about her grandmother. The piano, on the other hand, with those short little stabs, give you a sense of nervousness and the long-held sounds from those longer notes really add the emotion to it. And I love how all of that comes together. I didn't really want to break it down any further than that. Just wanted to point out how these emotional contexts given in the music itself can help give you into the frame of mind that the characters have as this meeting is about to begin. We're giving away all kinds of things this time around for our coverage this season, like The Crown Dissected, a book. We're also giving away both volumes one and two of the crown official companion guide uh, like this one, which is volume one or this one, which is volume two. One covers the years 1947 through 1955. This one covers the years 1956 through 1977. We want to give those away. We also have this lovely book called the crown in vogue by Robin Muir and Josephine Ross. It is a wonderful book that has all kinds of photos from the magazine, as well as articles from the magazine, and giving some insight into those. We want you to win these. How do you do it? You have to submit feedback to this podcast. That's the only way you can get into this drawing, is to submit feedback about Season 5 of The Crown. Once again, how do you do that? You tweet at LilibetPod on Twitter. Or you can use Matt's audio blog, M-A-T-T-S audio blog on Mastodon, on Hive, uh, email mattsaudioblog at gmail.com. Or you can leave comments at the website, mattsaudioblog.com. You can also leave comments on our YouTubes, on the Double P Media YouTube channel. You find that by going to youtube.com slash C slash the word double, the letter P, the word media. Use that same spelling for their website. Also use the spelling for double PHQ for Twitter, for Instagram, for Facebook, and for Hive. So facebook.com slash the word double, the letters PHQ. Thanks again for joining us for this musical analysis of episodes four through six. This has been Matt. Take care.